to be honest with you. Uh, I wonder. But uh, I, I'm not saying you have to do it, but man, if we can sing that again at the end. Whew. But if not, one time was enough for me. Um, good morning. Good morning, Gateway family. And, and, and welcome guests and everybody here, maybe for the first time, second time. I believe that I can speak on behalf of all the Gateway family and elders and leadership here. Just thank you for being here. We appreciate you being here. Uh, we're excited that you're here. Um, I know for myself, I am very excited about what God's doing here at Gateway right now. I'm excited what he's been doing, what he prepared, but also what he's leading us to. Um, definitely keep praying for the pastor search committee. Just in uh, just prayer for consideration as they move forward, as they make progress. Uh, and join us Sunday morning at 8 o'clock to pray with them. So definitely be doing that. Uh, my name is Jeremy, for those of you all that don't know me. Big Jeremy, Big J, whatever, it's all good. Hey, you. Um, but my wife, Sherry, and I, along with our family, have been here for about six and a half years now, Gateway. I was like, wow. Uh, six and a half years. They ain't run me off yet, but that's all right. Um, our family's grown since then, and we've brought uh, other knuckleheads into this world. Uh, so, But I'm very thankful uh, for you guys and what our time here at Gateway has meant for us. Uh, it has been extremely uh, challenging just in the Word. It's been eye-opening. It's been heart-changing. Uh, it's been a tremendous blessing for us, and I, I'm sure it has been for you. Uh, if you've been here the last three weeks in worship and you've had the opportunity to hear from Drew and from CJ and from Seth, uh, I know that you've been challenged, and I know that you've been encouraged in the Word, and I thank you men for your faithful service to teach the Word, to challenge us, um, and to expand our thinking to something different. So I appreciate you guys very much, and I pray that this morning God would continue to uh, reveal himself to you through his word, not mine, and that he would continue to encourage you through his word and not mine, but continue to just uh, embrace you through his spirit um, and hold you close. So, um, About a month ago, CJ and I talked and we met, and he encouraged me uh, that uh, to, to take an opportunity at the beginning of 2016 here to, to come and share a little bit um, as he knew some of the challenges that uh, myself and my family had walked through last year in 2015. Uh, mainly just because, I mean, he walked right there with us through the whole thing. Uh, he was right there by our side praying for us, encouraging us. And I'll share a little bit more about that in a second, but um, I believe just because of knowing that, he encouraged me to come and kind of share what God had shown me, what God has shown us through this last year's challenges and through the circumstances, through the trials. And I'll be completely honest with you that when I first left that meeting, my first thought was, man, there's no way in the world. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to bring it back up. I don't want to remember the pain, the darkness, the trial, the, just the suffering or any of that. I don't want to remember any of that. Just feeling helpless. And as a man, feeling completely unhelpable. And I honestly did not even want to think about that, but I knew that God had a plan. I knew that there's no way, C.J., being a mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit would even come and ask me to share that without reason. And so I uh, put that selfishness aside, and, and, and that's not all it was. But as I kind of began to think a little bit about it more, I began to see the bigger picture of what God was putting on my heart. And literally by the time C.J. confirmed with me again about this date, God had already brought back to memory one of, the, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. That he was showing me exactly kind of what I had been through. And, and it wasn't about me, though, but what he was doing, who Christ was, 
and how He brought us through that trial because of who He is, not because of who I am, who we are. And so when I uh, said yes that that time to to speak this morning, I I knew what God was going to have me share. And but God, thank you so much, God. So after that conversation, I said yes, and here we are. So this morning, I just want to take a look at one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And although I know there's no way I'll be able to share with you everything, that God has shown me or taught me more recently through this passage. I just hope that I can communicate a couple of those points with you this morning and um, that it also is an encouragement to you. So this morning, let's look at Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. If you know this passage, now you know why oceans just got me. I'm going to try to stick the notes up. I'll walk over here and walk over there. Tell me to go back. There's no object lesson in this. There's no, hey, kids, everybody all come sit down here. This, none of that. So this is different. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening... He was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. Other translations say, uh, Take cheer or be of good cheer. But take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. And Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water. And came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind and the storm, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? But when they got into the boat... The wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. If I were to to try to sum up this passage in in one simple statement, um, although I want to go through a few things, I would probably think one of the greatest lessons here is that uh, with Christ, we don't need to fear any storm. Because of his protection of his own. The protector of us, his beloved. And if I want to take it a step further, um, Jesus said to his disciples in verses 22 to 23, he said, go to the other side. Even in Mark and John, it kind of gives a little bit more description about where that is. But the amazing thing is, is here is a text that says when it started this way, the wind was contrary to their path. It would have been easy for the disciples at that point to say, there ain't no way. There's no way we can do this. 
But instead, they continued to pursue the direction that the Lord had told them to go. So we find them in the midst of what? The storm. But we also find them in the midst of obedience. So before I go any further this morning, I want you to know this. As a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, number one, you are going to face trials. You're going to face storms. But there is no storm that he won't send you to that he won't get you through. Not one. And if you don't make it all the way through it, that means you're probably in glory. So amen. First thing I do want to recognize, though, out of several different characteristics of Christ through this passage, the first thing is I want to recognize Christ's authority. No, I didn't steal Drew's message three weeks ago. Just unique how this happened. But Christ's authority. So in verse 22, we see here that he said, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Jesus had authority. He had control over the entire situation. I want to explain a little bit what just happened in the, in the passage before this. You're all familiar with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Estimated somewhere between 20,000 and 30,000 people, men, women, and children. And what happened there, of course, you know, absolutely no food. Disciples wondered what to do, and the people were hungry. Jesus told them to sit down. Jesus found a little bit of food, and he made an abundance. And through all that, number one, the people had their needs met. They had their, their earthly needs of hunger completely met. And I think because of what they saw and what happened there, what I believe is that they saw this and they saw this man do this. And they thought, this is it. This is the guy. This should be our king. If he can feed us like this all the time, we won't have any worries. Nothing. We will be set if Jesus will be our king here on earth. Even to the point that, that we know afterwards, after what, what we're going to go through this morning, the crowd shows back up the next morning. If you got dinner from him the night before, what are you going to get the next morning? A little breakfast. And we know that that's not what Jesus had intended. That's not what his purpose was. He wasn't there to fulfill their position or their desire to be earthly king. That's not what he was there for. So he did have control over this entire situation, over his own, over the disciples and their thoughts and their desires from this whole thing. Because you've got to admit, they didn't have all this in complete perspective either. He controlled the disciples who didn't want to leave him. He had to make them go. They were excited in the moment about what was happening, but he had to make them go. And he had to control the crowd against this urge to want to make him king. They were, in cap they were just captivated about what had happened. They were excited about what had happened, wouldn't you? I know I would have been, especially food. But they were just amazed. And so they wanted something different. This crowd wanted to, to, to make him and to force him to be king, but he controlled them. As well as the wind and the waves, as we know, are going through the passage here, but he also controlled their thinking, their faith, he controlled everything. Jesus had complete authority over everyone and everything. And I believe it comes through to us through this passage. Just like in this case, I believe, though, that sometimes many of us as believers, just as human beings, 
We recognize that Jesus has authority, but we often try to place those limitations on him and his authority. Or we try to put boundaries on his authority in our life. Or maybe we attempt to place his authority in only certain areas of our life, our circumstances. All for what we believe is probably greatest, our greatest benefit. Let me tell you this morning, it doesn't matter what your circumstances, what your situation, uh, I listed here just, you know, finances or health, and I'm going through the, you know, the Jones <laughs> things of, of our life, the, the finances or health or family or jobs or careers or interests or maybe even your mission. Submit to the full authority of Christ. Dive deeper. Go back and listen to Drew. But submit to the full authority of Jesus in every area of your life because he is in absolute control. Second, this morning, I want to recognize Christ's purpose maybe in all of this. Verse 23, go back and read with me. It says here, After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for again the wind was contrary. You know, we can only imagine what Christ is praying about up on top of that mountain at that point. After the experience he had just had with the crowd, how things were obviously starting to begin to change in the people's minds about who he was, what, what purpose he served here on earth, what position he was, or who they wanted him to be. He's ultimately probably praying for his disciples with everything they had just experienced, how they got wrapped up in the emotion, how they got wrapped up in, in what could possibly be of all this. And on top of it all, he, the current situation that his disciples are in, being out in the middle of the sea, not calmly rowing, but in the midst of the storm. What we do know from Scripture about this prayer time is that he was on top of that mountain praying for about five or six hours. He spends time prayerfully preparing for what's to come for this point forward. In verse 25, it says, And in the fourth watch of the night, somewhere around 3 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And said, it's a ghost or phantom. And they cried out in fear. A bunch of grown men in the middle of a boat in a storm. I'd cry too. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. It is I do not be afraid. Man. Recognize a couple things here about Christ's purpose. Number one, he allows his disciples to remain in the storm for hours. Hours. Not getting to their destination. Not going anywhere safely. Not being calm about the whole thing. He allows them to struggle through the storm for hours. And this pushes them to their absolute edge. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. This is 100% draining of everything they are and they have. The reality is, is, is when Jesus is up on top of this mountain, he could have looked over and said, hey, stop. He could have stopped, stopped the storm right then and there. 
Why did he not just speak it? Because we know he can do it. Why? Because getting down off the mountain, walking on the water, allowed him to be right with them. Speaking it from the mountaintop wasn't with them. Jesus desired that relationship, that community, that connection, and he had a greater purpose. So Jesus walks down on the water. We can talk about the, how that defied physics and everything else. I agree. And that's whew, un, just mind-blowing for me. But he gets down on the water to fulfill his purpose, to be present with them and to come alongside them in the storm. Another point to recognize is that all, uh, although his presence was terrifying to the disciples, to these grown men, caused them to cry like babies, it was his voice that assured them of who it was. Maybe they questioned it a little bit, but it changed everything for them. His voice crying out, saying to them, it's me. I am. It is I. And so they recognized that, and that did bring them comfort and assurance, especially to one man. But I want to ask you this this morning is, have you recognized ever in any storm his still small voice? Are you in the middle of a storm right now, and can you recognize his voice? Do you believe that his word, do you believe that his word can change everything? about your storm, can bring you comfort, can bring you assurance in the midst of your storm. I'm I'm really not going to necessarily go into all the details of what 2015 brought me or us, because we definitely wouldn't make it to the buffet by 1130. promise you that. But what I can tell you is at one point during the year, it was all revolved around health issues and just challenges for me in my life and physically. Um, what it did to our family just completely changed the course of everything. But at one point in one of my stays at the hospital, and this was kind of when things were just unclear as to what was going on, what was happening, why, how, what do we do from this, trying to, I mean, complete trust in John Vermillion, absolute. He was doing his thing, but I was scared to death. There were so many fast decisions coming here and there that I didn't understand. They were about to do this to me. They were about to do this. I had enough. Man. And then CJ <laughs> came to the room. He sat down to the right in the chair beside my bed, scootered it up close. And he just began encouraging. You, you know, CJ. He just began encouraging us, telling us who was praying and how people were praying and what was going on. And you, you just, I mean, obviously you feel kind of clueless as to really what's going on in the reality of the world. And so. But he brought that assurance to us. And, I, and I'll never forget it. He sat there beside my bed, and I believe it was a Thursday, because I believe that Wednesday night before, he was sharing from Psalm, and he shared that with me, about dwelling in God's presence, being captivated by his hand, and being held. And, and i tell you right now, it brought me to tears. Because it's exactly what I needed. I needed to hear God's word in that storm. Not CJ's, but I needed to hear God's word in that storm. Are you seeking God's word, his words, his message, his truth 
in your storms. That kind of leads me to see the next here, the next point that I want to make is the third part of this passage that I want to recognize is Christ's love. In 28, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Complete authority. Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind and the storm, he became frightened, scared, completely unfocused on Christ. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him, caught him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus said, come. May I suggest to you this morning that the Lord never invites you or anyone else to do anything sinful, proud, or boasting of yourself. Peter did not ask or request to do that, to be a showboat. Jesus didn't allow him, didn't request for him to come to give an opportunity to boast. When he said, come, It was all about the love and the compassion that he as father had for Peter, for his child, who he longed to see the security and the safety of his father's arms. Peter longed to be in Jesus' home, in his arms, in his presence, in the midst of this storm. I, I I think I've shared this before a different time or something, but I'll never forget as... Being a new dad, coming in the door in the evenings, and you see that little one trying to run, toddle, whatever, maybe with a Nerf gun, I don't know, but (laughs) before Nerf gun days, man, it was just this. It was just this. Or going in the room in the morning when we hear the voices of, you know, dad, dad, mama, whatever, through the monitor, opening that door. And that excitement, like, well, come on, just jump out of there. But no, arms held high. But even more so, now, uh, with, with Blue Blue, it's in the middle of the night sometimes, waking up crying, waking up in fear for whatever reason. I, we don't know. But when he does that, and you open that door, and if you're a parent, you've probably been here. You open that door, and what is that kid doing? This. Man, Blue Blue can about do it, but if he could jump out of that crib, I know he would. He wouldn't even wait on me to get there. But that embrace that I have as an earthly father to my earthly son was the experience that Peter was about to have, that he was longing for, that Jesus wanted him to come to, to embrace him, to hold him, to bring him safety, security, and peace in the middle of the storm. So he said, come. Peter didn't know that this was going to be one of the toughest lessons in his life. In verse 29 again, it says, And Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. He wasn't just out there walking on water. 
you know, after the first couple of steps and he figures out I got this, I mean, he could have just ran around and done everything. But he didn't do that. He was walking straight toward Jesus Christ. That's all he had in mind. That was his focus. We know that because we know what happened when it wasn't his focus. But that was his focus, was to go to Jesus. Really, that, this isn't about Peter. But in terms of what happens here, this might be one of the most significant parts of this entire passage. Because the love that Christ had for his child, for his disciples, compelled him to get out of the boat. What you would think would be the safety and security during the storm. But it compelled him to get out of the boat to seek refuge with Christ. God's love compelled him. He was reconciled. Go listen to that. He was reconciled to Christ at that point. He wanted to get to Jesus, but this was the hardest test. He had seen God, he had seen Jesus calm the storm before and earlier in Matthew. He knew that just with a simple, Jesus had calmed everything. But this was different. Storm was still going on, and he got out of the boat to go to him. Jesus knew, though, that Peter's faith was weak, was small, frail, faulty, that there's no way it could withstand the storm on the water, much less in the boat. But the Lord did not. Jesus did not reject Peter's small faith. He took it. He used it. He built upon it. He never rejects weak love, small service. He takes it. He builds upon it. Grows us. Matures us. Because of his love. And to increase our capacity of who he is. And that's exactly what he does here. So, Peter being afraid, that's kind of putting it mildly, putting it lightly. He began to sink. There is no way to swim for Peter. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, not little, I've never been little, but when I was younger, I took swim lessons one time. Mama wanted to make sure a big boy could swim. So, in swim lessons, you go for the whole week and learn all this stuff. It's all great. Really, all we want to do is jump off the high dive. But at the end of that, one of the challenges that we were given was come to swim lessons in full clothes. Full clothes. Shirt, jacket, pants, tennis shoes, everything. And you're going to jump in the water in your clothes. That jumps hard. It's hard. It's difficult. But Peter didn't dress like what I would showed up to that morning. Imagine what he was wearing. There's no way he could swim. What could he do? No swimming. He cannot cure his situation. He cannot change the cause the situation to change. So what does he do? He cries. Guys, that's okay. Cry. Cry out. Not, I mean, not ugly cry, but just cry out. Cry out. He cried out to Jesus and he said, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus' love. Christ's love. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand 
and took hold of him and said to him, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? Anybody notice that, that Peter doesn't get a chance to answer that question? I don't know what his answer would have been. I mean, I would have been like, you kidding me? <laughs> I jumped out of the boat. I did pretty good. I mean, first few steps, but I mean, these guys, they ain't, no, I won't go there. Peter doesn't, it doesn't answer. There's no, I mean, all Jesus is really doing at this point is just saying, you know I got you. You know I love you. You know I'm the authority. You know I have a purpose for this. I would not ask you to come. I would not tell you to come. I would not draw you unto myself if I would not catch you. Jesus gets an opportunity right then and there to show more than just love, but he shows his absolute deity as God the Son. Do you believe that in your storm you can trust Jesus? Do you believe that he will catch you? Jesus, looking at Peter, do you not believe that I'm going to pull you out of this? Did you not believe that I had you in full control? Did you not believe that I would sustain you through this storm, through this experience? Do you believe in your storm, in your trial? Have you believed? Will you believe? Are you believing? Jesus said, I I was there the whole time. The Lord caught him. And picked him up. Now, I, I will say this. Before we talk about the other guys, or the, the little faith of Peter, as, as Jesus said here, let's remember this, that little faith is what Christ asked of us, of a mustard seed, of a child. So there's nothing wrong with little faith. Also, the other men in the boat. I don't believe for one second that their love for Christ or their faith in who he was was any necessarily less of what Peter's was. But for whatever reason, they stayed there in the boat. I think sometimes we can compare our faith or our love for Christ to somebody else that's doing something that looks like they're walking on water. I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in what other people are doing in a way that's negative toward our thoughts or our Christian walk. Not to say that others' experiences can't encourage us, because I know they have for me. But I want to encourage you this morning to realize and understand that your relationship with Christ, who God called you to be, who He created you for, to be the purpose that He has for you, is unique to you from His Spirit, maybe unlike anybody else's. So whether you get out of the boat in the middle of the storm to go to Jesus or when Jesus finally brings it to land, just like that. At some point, they got out of the boat. And that's the point. Step out in faith. Walk on water. Walk with Christ no matter what is under your feet. There's a a very significant end to this passage. Makes all of this, I think, 100% real for for all of us. In verse 32, 
when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. At this point, the, the disciples shift from seeing Jesus not just as a, a great man or a great teacher, a great earthly king, provider maybe of their earthly needs, their mindset, mindset, their, their, their thought of who he is, the realization of who is this man becomes this is God's son. He is the Word. He is King of Kings. And He's the one that's going to restore fallen man, sinking man, to a right relationship with God the Father. I want to encourage you this morning that I don't know everything that you've gone through, are going through, or will go through. I can also tell you that the, cha- the challenges in our lives, the storms in our lives, should not be the focus. When we focus on the storm, we're not focused on the Savior. Our focus should be on Jesus. I, I want to invite the praise team to, to come on up. And as they do... I want to read some words from a song that God brought to my mind through conversation with Sherry this morning. To him, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Just listen to these words for a second. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, these storms, these trials, these troubles, will grow strangely dim. Not go away. But they won't be your focus. In the light of His glory and His grace. I want to invite you this morning. Get out of the boat. Don't know where, don't know how, don't know what's going to be underneath your feet. But get out of the boat. If you don't know Jesus in a way because He has come beside you, He will compel you. He will draw you. And if that's happening to you, get out of the boat. I also want to encourage you, if you need help from a brother or sister in this room, I see it every single Sunday across the front of this altar. They're here. Don't ever feel like this is something you go alone. So this morning I invite you, number one, get out of the boat. Seek reconciliation with Jesus. Number two, seek encouragement this morning, if needed, from a brother or sister in this room. Number three, offer that same thing to someone else.
place today. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. The authority in our life. You are God. Control. Thank you for the purpose and the plan that you have for our lives. Thank you for not sending us on that plan or purpose alone, but coming alongside us, even in the midst of storms. What we consider waves and trials and troubles are beneath your feet. You are on top of that. So God, help us to seek you. Father, help us to dwell in your love, in your arms, in your word, and worship you for who you are. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Help us to go.